Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. By three o'clock this afternoon, Jesus had been hanging on the cross for six hours. The last three hours since noon, it's been dark. No one knows why, but the sun had stopped working. And as the Gospels tell us, darkness covered the land. Someone reported that the thick veil in the temple had inexplicably been ripped in two from the top down. At one point, Jesus cried out, saying, I thirst. We remember when he told the woman at the well that he had the water of life, which if you drank of it, you would never thirst. He also said, let anyone who is thirsty come to him and drink. But now he is the one who is thirsty and they gave him gall to drink. Jesus realized that the time had come at the ninth hour, and after he had received a drink of sour wine, he said, it is finished. But as we learned last night, he meant he loved them to the end. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Crucifixion could drag on for a long time. You never knew when somebody was going to, you know, expire. And it could be inconvenient if you had other things going on. And so sometimes they would break the victim's legs so that they would suffocate and die more quickly. Well, in this case, the next day, tomorrow is the Sabbath. It's a holy day. And the Jews didn't want the bodies left out on the crosses on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders asked Pilate if he would have their legs broken. And then the bodies could be taken down and disposed of. And Pilate consented. And the soldiers came and they first broke the, two, the legs of the two men to the right and left, the thieves that were crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus to break his legs they noticed that he was already dead. And so they didn't break his legs. John, our gospeler, who has already in his gospel identified Jesus as the Paschal Lamb, quotes from the Old Testament concerning the Paschal Lamb, quote, not a bone of his will be broken. While they did not break his legs, because they thought he was dead, or they knew he was dead. There was one particular soldier, apparently thought, well, he needed to be sure, so maybe it would be prudent if I thrust my spear into his side and, you know, just make sure he's dead. And that's what he did. This too, John says, was to fulfill the scripture. And he quotes Zechariah. Many of the 
Many of the um, prophecies about Jesus are from Zechariah, by the way. He quotes Zechariah saying, quote, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. The soldiers broke these two men's bones, but God said, Not a bone of his will be broken. And it wasn't. And the soldier decided to pierce a dead man's side because God said, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. According to John, he was pierced after he was already dead, which is actually an important detail, I think, in John's account. And John tells us that immediately, blood and water flowed out of his side, where the spear of the lance had gone in. Blood and water in two distinct streams clearly distinguishable from one another, blood and water, not mixed together. This is according to an eyewitness who reported this miracle, John himself. (laughs) And they flowed out of him after he was dead. John makes a big deal out of this in his gospel. He's not just reporting, you know, an event or something, a detail. He says, I'm telling you this because this is important to your faith, this particular detail. John says, speaking of himself, he says, the person who saw this phenomenon has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, he says three times, so that you may believe. This is a matter of of faith for the Christians who are reading his gospel. For John and his readers, readers, the piercing of Jesus' side with the spear and the flow of blood and water, this report, this witness of this miracle that you may believed and strengthened in your faith, that this Christ, he is who he said he was, and everything he promised us is true. Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture says, from within him will flow rivers of living water. From within him, not you, not the drinker, (laughs) the one giving the drink. From within Jesus, from out of Jesus will flow rivers of living water. And we go and we drink from Christ. And we are filled. This is also what is typified when Moses struck the rock. Remember? The rock in the wilderness and the water flowed out. And Paul tells us that rock was Christ. You know, interestingly, there is a Jewish tradition. This is not in the scriptures. But there's a Jewish tradition that Moses struck the rock and blood flowed out. And so he struck it a second time, and then water flowed out. In John 7, Jesus identifies this living water which flows out of him as the Holy Spirit. He says again, this same passage, I'll read the whole portion of it. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scripture says, From within him will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We are taught in the gospel that Jesus is glorified in his death. Well, he has died. He has died and he is glorified and the water flows out of him. The Spirit pours forth. and We are washed in that water and we drink that water and we drink that blood that flows forth with the water. This same John also says in his first epistle, Jesus Christ is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement. The same writer is writing the same things here. Jesus was baptized in water by John and Jordan, but that was water without blood. Today he is glorified. The ultimate act of his love. He is glorified so the spirit can be for, pour forth. And now we have water that comes forth with the blood. And we receive the spirit who testifies of the water and the blood. We no longer see him in the flesh like he was once here among us. But still, just as John has promised from Zechariah, we will look upon him who was pierced for our transgression. There's probably two different groups of people here that he means. Like who's going to look upon him who was pierced for their transgression? Probably two groups. The first group is the Jews who handed him over. They're going to look upon him in their judgment. They were trying to do away with him. They were trying to eclipse him, take away his authority and his influence. So they thought, we'll kill him, that'll do it. Ah, well, little did they know. When they killed him, cut him open with that spear, they unleashed, they unleashed the river of life into the whole world. It was their very undoing. For us, we're the other group. We look upon him with joy and thanksgiving and healing. We look upon him who is pierced for our transgressions. We look upon him who is pierced. And we see the blood and the water. Where do we see it? We see it today. We see it now. We see it in baptism and in Eucharist. And certainly John was alluding, at least in some way, to the sacramental life of the church. We're going to receive the body and blood of Christ tonight. We're going to have numerous baptisms on Sunday morning. We are washed in the waters of baptism, and we receive the Spirit in baptism. And through the Eucharist, we receive His life-giving blood and divine immortality. When the Jews killed a sacrificial, the sacrificial lamb, actually, they were, they were instructed to pierce the animal with a lance in the heart. It's part of the rubrics they're given. They're to pierce the animal in the heart with a lance uh, to bleed it out. 
so that there would be no congealed blood, and secondly, so they would have plenty of blood for the purification rite of sprinkling. (laughs) When the soldier approached Jesus, another interesting detail, we think that he thrust the spear into his right side. Now, the reason for this, it's not mentioned in the Gospels, but in in very early manuscripts around, and they're all unanimous, they all agree. And this is why in every single artistic uh, depiction of this, you will see it is at the right side. So this is unanimous, the fathers agree with this, that he was pierced in the right side. And that's what everybody believes. What's interesting, if they're going to pierce him into the heart, which it doesn't say either, but which we believe, you would think they pierce him from the left side. But the Romans wore their shield on the left to guard that side of them. And so in all their training, they spent hundreds of hours training about how to take out an opponent and pierce from the right side. That's what they did. And as they approached Jesus, it would have been only natural. And the, the piercing's right about here, according to the Shroud of Turin, if you believe that it is what they say it is. I think it probably is. By the way, there's a stain on the Shroud that is exactly the same size and shape and position as the spear that is believed to possibly be the spear that was used to pierce Christ. Exactly the same size in the Shroud. And it's right here. And he's coming at an angle. And he goes right up in. It's about this long. And he pierces the heart of Christ. This final wound that our Savior receives, which he shows Thomas as well. This is part of his wounds. The five primary wounds. This final wound inflicted upon him was actually the most serious of all the singular wounds that he had suffered from. And he received it after he was dead. He thinks there's nothing left for him to give. <laughs> right? Sort of that thing, you know, when you're down, somebody kicking you when you're down. I think I was chatting to somebody about this. Boy, I have felt that. Before, maybe you have. You're down and somebody comes along and gives you a good swift kick. You think, man, that was dirty. How much can a guy take? And while you're thinking that, somebody else comes along and gives you a good swift kick. I mean, what more could he do? He was already dead. But I think this is important. He did plenty more. Even after he died, they pierced his heart. The loving heart of the Savior, his holy heart. The most serious blow, in fact. But he didn't just pierce it. They pierced it, and the blood and the water flowed out. Flowed out. Saved and redeemed the world. You think, what more did he have to give? He had plenty more to give. He had plenty more to give through his loving heart that we might be cleansed, that we might drink of that blood 
and of that water and be filled with the fullness of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.